Hey guys, welcome to the Improvement Podcast, where young men get the help to develop their character, identity, and mindset in order to activate their potential and achieve their goals in life. Today's special guest is Zach Rutledge, who is a personal trainer, nutrition specialist, and a certified brain health trainer through the Functional Aging Institute. He also has a black belt in karate and has practiced yoga for almost a decade. Welcome to the show, Zach. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's a real honor, and I, I love what you do. I think it's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm really excited for today. And so I guess before we hop in, uh, what's some information that you like for the audience to know about you? Um, well, everything you said was pretty great. I, uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I'm actually finishing up a, a yoga teacher certification in about six weeks. So that's pretty cool too. So all of that, um, all of that as well, which is, which is pretty fun. Um, but I guess the other big one, which is really the reason I, I guess you're having me on is that I wrote a book about depression. It's called, uh, the official depression relief playbook. And I, I really wrote it for, um, I wrote it for anybody really suffering with depression, but my main target, it sounds funny, but I, I, my main target was me when I was 20 years old. So I guess in a way you could say it's for younger people. Right. Um, right. because that's when I hit like my, my deepest points of depression. And it's really a story of, um, everything that I used to get out of it. It's all the tools that I had acquired over a decade. Um, and it goes pretty deep. So yeah, so that's, that's uh, the big thing I've been doing lately. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get into that, actually, because this is something that's extremely, I guess, stigmatized, if that's even a word, you know, especially among guys, where when it comes to like mental health and that sort of stuff, and especially depression, it's not really something that's acknowledged. I'll say, and also for those that do acknowledge it, it's kind of seen as a weakness in a way, you know, for a man, especially like with traditional expectations and things. But if anything, I would say that it's actually a strength whenever you can face it head on. And then you have the fortitude to take your own actions, which you formulated in your book to fight it. And after that, having the strength to be able to share your story and provide that information to other young men and women that might be able to get help from that. Yeah, I completely agree that, you know, it, it has been stigmatized. Luckily, I do think things are changing now, you know, thankfully, because of people like you and because of, um, you know, a lot of people, just the internet in general, a lot of people are, are a lot more willing to talk about it. So I'm thankful for that. Yeah, definitely. And so I guess if you don't mind, could you tell your story a little bit? Could you tell what the uh, catalyst was for writing the book or, you know, maybe some of the events that led up to you getting to that point to where, you're in a dark place and then eventually decide to start implementing those tips that you have in the book? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, it started pretty young. I mean, now that I have the insight, I could see that there were some chemical things going on when I was a kid. Um, nothing, there were no like capital T traumas or anything like that. It was just kind of like I took breakups harder than normal. Just things that I could recognize now as, I wasn't quite functioning the way other people were functioning. I was taking things a lot harder, like I said. Um, but it wasn't until my, um, the summer after high school, my best friend was killed. And that was when things oh, wow. kind of manifested because I was living in basically a perfect storm. So of course that happened and that was a crushing blow. He's my best friend from the time I was five years old. Um, but on top of that, uh, my karate school closed. So that was tough. <laughs> and then, you know, it was two weeks before all of my friends left for college. So that was happening. And then there tends to be this pattern where quirks, let's say, pick up in those late teens, early 20s. So things like depression and OCD, things like that tend to kind of manifest around those years. So it felt like everything kind of hit me all at once. Um, so the, that was the bottom. And that was really tough. So it sounds like I guess some of the things that contributed to it, of course, with your friend dying, is that also you had a lot of different changes in your environment, you know, with school uh, not being around anymore. And then that support group, I guess you could say that you would normally have of your friends, they all kind of were gone. They weren't able to be there for you. Am I understanding that correctly? Exactly. And this is before social media. This is a while ago. Before so, Facebook, all that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, this stuff existed, but not like it does today. Okay. And, okay. Um, so it was tough and I tried going to college, but I just didn't have the energy to do it. It just, it just wasn't happening. So um, there was a certain point where I realized that 
what I was going through wasn't grief anymore because we, everyone has to go through grief uh, and there's no getting around that. And it sounds funny to people who haven't been through depression, but grief almost felt cleaner than the depression. So, you know, after I was six months, a year out, I was like, why am I still feeling so low? I mean, obviously I was upset that my friend was killed, but it was still this just absolutely draining, awful feeling. Uh, where it's just like this bottomless pit, it just kept going, going, going. And that's when I realized, okay, now there's an issue. Um, so what I did was, I was like, okay, I'm going to create a plan to get out of this. And it was a very, I, I, it was like a brick by brick type thing, which is really, I think, a good way to do it. It's just, I wish people had the tools to do it a little quicker. So I was figuring this out on my own. I didn't have a support system. I didn't have anyone really giving me advice. And I wasn't even reading any books on it. So, um, and the internet just isn't, isn't, it wasn't the way that it is now. It wasn't like the go-to to find anything, right? Like it was right. around, but it wasn't, it just wasn't what it is now. So wait, just to pause right there. Yeah. Just to make sure that, uh, I guess I'm kind of following their chronology and everything. And also to kind of interject to something that you mentioned, I think is extremely important is you talked about how you said the, the grief was more bearable than the depression. Am I understanding you correctly? It was, it, like I said, it was cleaner, which sounds cleaner. odd. It was, it, was a, a, it was a crushing thing, absolutely awful to lose your best friend. But it was different. It was, that felt like a mountain I had to climb. But, it, but in a way, it seems like that's a mountain that, that you will get over. We all lose loved ones, and we all eventually get over this awful grief mountain. But we have to go through it. The depression was incessant. And it was different and it felt dirty and it sounds strange, but it felt dirty and it had almost like a color to it. I explained, there's this one short portion in the book where I talk about, I felt like the smell of burning plastic. That's what it felt like. That just nauseating smell of burning plastic. That's kind of what it felt like for a while. Um, so yeah, what I, what I eventually had to do was figure out a way to kind of battle my way back to, uh, to a quote unquote normal life. So it kind of sounds like acknowledging it and I guess accepting the fact that uh, your friend passing away hurt you was uh, something that was a good part of the process because you talked about how the depression was dirty, but then whenever you actually gave yourself time to grieve, it felt cleaner. Do you think that might've been part of it too? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's really insightful. Yeah. I think so. I, I, I didn't even look at it that way until you just said it. Yeah. Absolutely. That was the case. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to, to ask about that. Just trying to make sure that I'm following along too, but yeah, please continue with the, uh, with the story. Because and, you know, I... and in no way am I sorry to cut you off. There's a small delay between us. And I, and I, and I, and in no way am I like downplaying traumatic events. Traumatic events are by definition, traumatic events. So right. it's just that it was this compounded thing. So that, that, that was kind of how I knew that, when nothing was changing a year later, I, I knew something was up. So anyway, um, what I did was, you know, I, I had to drop out of college and I was spending like vast majority of my day in my bedroom. And I, I, I wasn't sleeping well and I wasn't staying awake well. It was, it was a real tough time. So I said, you know what? I've really got to start sharpening my mind. I've got to be able to focus on something for a half hour. So I said, I'm going to, this sounds silly, but when you're down at the very bottom, I was like, I got to start building myself up, you know, with baby steps. So I said, um, I'm going to start by watching TV. And I said, okay, what do smart and informed people watch? I was like, I'm going to start watching the news, which is the worst possible thing I could have done because, you know, with all the bad stuff on the news, it, yeah, that's probably not going to be the best thing to reinforce positive thoughts, right? No, I, you know, and I quickly learned I didn't need to know about every murder in the tri-state area, you know? So I was like, okay, this, this may not be the way to do it. And it wasn't until um, I played, I played in bands and I still play in bands, but it wasn't until I, I joined another band where these guys weren't working out. And I had been fit to an extent, but just as a byproduct of doing karate, things like that. Right. Um, but these guys were into lifting weights for the sake of lifting weights. Now, I should provide some context here. Uh, 
today I'm five foot nine and 170 pounds, which is, you know, whatever, nothing to talk about, but I, I work out six days a week. So I really don't have a lot of fat on me and that's what it is. So that's 100, 170 pounds I am. Cut to back then, still five foot nine. I was 124 pounds. So I was oh. almost 50 pounds lighter. Yeah. Yeah, so, you put in a lot of work from it, it sounds like. I put in the work and I didn't realize, realize how light I had gotten. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I had never been this big, but I shouldn't have been that light. And right. it, it, was, it was from the depression and it was, it was, I was getting sick a lot. And um, if I had gotten seriously sick, there was nowhere for me to go. I mean, I was skin and bones. So when I started lifting these weights, um, I went from, you know, the 124 and then pretty quickly I went up to 135 and I could, you know, see the difference in my body and then up to 145. And I was like, I, I can see this muscle building on me. Did well, it change your mood too? Absolutely. Changed my mood. It, 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 it gave me a sense of accomplishment and it also just gave me something fun to do, a new interest. I remember being in bed and reading like articles on like, how much protein should I be having and what, what, you know, what exercises should I be doing to develop my lats and like things like that. So it, 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 that was the first effective building block that happened, which is dialing into that physical aspect, which is a lot of the time, the first place I put people. And I like to come at it, I call it the D-Day approach because I come at it from, with everything, from every single angle. But I like to point at that physical, at the physical angle first because um, it's concrete, it gives you something to do, even if it's not building muscle. If it's going out, let's say for a bike ride or whatever, it's a physical thing that you can do that you can scratch off of a list, right? right. So that's the that's the first thing I I, I steer people towards is is getting that their physical um, house in order, I guess. And then from there, I was like, okay, well this worked. <clears throat> Maybe I should dial in a few other things. And of course, naturally, next came nutrition. Um, but then from there again, just brick by brick by brick, eventually developing, you know, routines. And, um, and this actually took some bravery, like you said, but like getting other people involved because I was trying doing this solo for probably five years and getting other people involved in, in building a team around you. And, and I talk about this a little bit in the book, you know, I, I'm a, a big believer in therapy. Um, I'm a big believer in getting your doctor involved. I'm a big believer in getting, you know, whoever else you need, because I consider them coaches. They're all part of your team. You're the CEO, but they're all part of your team. Um, and you should use them. You should use them for, for um, you know, they have skills that you don't possess. So it, yeah, it was just this, this um, very slow, but very <coughs> thorough, uh, very thorough build back, back up to, now I'm, now I'm, you know, doing things I never thought I could do. But um so right. yeah, so I, I just feel like I got to get that word out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, definitely. Yeah. And something to kind of add to that too. You had talked about how you had been doing it by yourself for so long, but then whenever you added friends to the mix, you know, it, it kind of, I guess, created improvements in a way. And I think that that's so important to talk about too, yeah. because especially with guys, the gang or the tribe, I guess you have around you, <clears throat> excuse me, quote unquote can play such a big role in the trajectory of your life and how you even deal with different things that might be going on with you, you know, like depression, for example. And so, you know, let's say if the gang around you is an actual gang in all likelihood, uh, most of you probably aren't going to make much of yourselves. You're probably going to end up having a rough, a rough life. If you even, you know, live a full life, you know, with a lifestyle like that, but surrounding yourself with a positive gang of people who were working out with you doing positive things and reinforcing good behavior, it made it to where you made a big change in your life, you know, to where you started gaining weight, you started to feel better mentally, uh, all that. And so I think that that's definitely something important to kind of touch on too, because a lot of guys kind of maybe will look at things from the perspective of how do, they need to be like a lone ranger or something like that. A lot of people do take that kind of uh, approach, I guess you could say, but uh, it just really goes to show how having a support team around you. And I guess you being the CEO, like, like you said, you know, of, of your own group, the way that you look at it and having people around you that, you know, bring something to the table that support that, I guess your company's mission to mm -hmm. go on with that CEO uh, analogy. It definitely does make a difference. 
oh, absolutely. And I could have easily gotten sucked in because I was hanging out with the wrong crowds at that time uh, when, it, when, when, when everything really fell apart. You know, I was, like I said, I'm a musician and they're great musicians. I mean, they're just like regular people, right? But we were out late hours and you can either be around these guys who are into fitness or you can be around these other guys that I played in bands with before who were like into drugs and drinking and, um, you know, living these not great lifestyles. And I could have easily fallen into that so it's i'm really blessed that i got to uh almost by chance fall into this band of guys who who are just so health conscious and positive i think that's really the key word because if you have really negative people in your life you got to really pause and think what are these people contributing you know what are you gaining from these relationships it's it helps to really surround yourself with positive people i'm just reiterating what you said but you know i i agree yeah, I mean, you can you can see uh, how it works out. I can just see from how it's worked out in my own life. And then, of course, you can see yourself. And so that's just something I wanted to bring to the attention of the listeners, you know, for those people that might be checking this podcast out that might not necessarily be acting intentionally about the connections that they're making and who they're hanging out with and just hanging out with who's convenient, which could be, let's say, old high school friends or whatever else, people that might not even be, you know, in the same type of um, path that they're going down. And so... I feel like if more people were intentional about this sort of thing, then they start to get closer and closer to those results they really want in life. And so no, it just I, made me think I of agree. that whenever you brought it up. I'm glad that you did. Absolutely. I'm with you there. Yeah. But to continue your story, yeah, this is, okay, this is yeah. really good. So, so yeah. So I should mention this cause I, I tend to forget, but while we're talking about teams and therapy, so like I, I do talk about this in the book that I, I went to a therapist and, and this is important. So I went to a therapist uh, not too long after my friend had passed and I didn't like it. And I thought, okay, that's not for me. I went once and I figured, okay, therapy is not for me. <laughs> uh, I can laugh about it now because I know how ridiculous that was. Um, I tried again a few years later and I, I liked this one guy, it tended to go pretty well. But then a month later, he, he said he was going to move. So <laughs> he was... Yeah. So like he threw me under the, I mean, I, I, he was a nice, he was a nice guy, but I mean, I wish he'd give me a heads up. Yeah. Definitely wasn't, definitely wasn't very helpful to your situation at the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he gave me to his assistant who was, she was very young and she was very by the book and there wasn't much humanity going on. Uh-huh. So I, I stopped again. Um, and it wasn't until I went back to college and I had a psychology professor and I loved his classes. I was taking classes, even though I wasn't getting credit for them, just because I loved the classes so much. And um, it was at a community college, so I just took the classes for fun. And, um, you know, eventually we got talking and he had a private practice. So I ended up going to him. And that was a, such a rich relationship and such a rich experience um, that I, I implore people not to give up because I can see a lot of people could end up like I was say, okay, I tried therapy. It wasn't for me, but if you find that right person, you you can make so much progress. It's, it's such a valuable thing, such a valuable relationship. Um, just for a a quick example, I learned, I don't know if you know what this is, but the Myers Briggs test. Yeah. Yeah. What's your personality type? Right. So I learned I'm in ENFP, which was so, um, um, it, like, I don't, just provided so much insight into my, my, the way I think and why I had done certain things. And, um, if anybody, if any of the listeners haven't taken the test, you can find some online. I think the longer, the better, cause they can be a little more thorough. Yeah. And so they're the free Myers, too. Usually I think, right. A lot of time they're free. Yeah. 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 I took the really big, long one. That was like 200 questions. It was on paper. Oh, but, wow. uh, yeah. I took the, like the legit one, but, um, yeah. So what, what personality type were you? I'm actually ESTJ. ESTJ. Okay, cool. Right on. So yeah, but it gives you like a lot of uh, insight on just the way you think and, and it, it helps out your relationships, like why some people don't understand you and why maybe you don't understand the way they're thinking. Right. But then you can kind of be like, oh, these, so like ENFP, just a quick example and I'll drop it because I'm fascinated by this stuff, but I know some people aren't. ENFPs tend to be uh, future oriented. So people like me tend to be um, 
interested in and talk about the potential of things. So what could be like, so there, there tends to be a lot of entrepreneurs or ENFPs, um, psychologists or ENFPs, um, people in like music and, and uh, like video and music or movies, whatever, like that tends to be ENFP as well. Cause you're seeing the potential, you wanna build something. Um, but there are personality types where they like, they see what's already in front of them. They're more concrete. So that's a different personality type. So I could understand now the people, why I was having a tough time communicating with certain people. So really valuable stuff. I know I'm geeking out right now. But it I makes sense. Kind of, it makes yeah, sense yeah. though. I mean, it's something yeah. people should think about. It is something people should think about. And it's okay. Like, you know, if you can have friends of all different, of all different mindsets, right. But you just recognize, oh, they're, they're just wired to think about this a little bit differently. And then you can find their common ground. Right. It's right. It's fascinating to me. Right. And so it can I, be helpful too. It's very helpful, very helpful. I mean, that, that really helped me. So anyway, so that was it. So the, if you're thinking about going to therapy and you can afford it, if, you, if you're you know, lucky enough to have health insurance, or even if you don't, you, know, you can find some charity, uh, great organizations out there who can hook you up. But if you're thinking about going, just go and go until you find someone you can really click with. I, I think it's great. But at the same time, you know, um, my primary care doctor, believe it or not, she was a huge influence on me as well. She was amazing. And she was really cool about, you know, she recognized that the decisions were up to me as far as uh, really anything in my life, right? But she's the one who talked me into medication, which is the very last step. I, I didn't do that until it was the, literally the last thing I did in my journey. Our journeys never really end, but that was the last thing that felt like I really built myself back up to, you know, fighting weight, however you want to put it. So she... Um, I had believed all these things that like, you know, once you start medication, you can't stop and I don't want to feel like a zombie and all these things out there. And she was like, hey, if you don't like it, just stop. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was like, it was so like clean and like simple. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option. That's great. And having her by my side was really helpful too. So if you can get a, even a primary care doctor who, who really knows their stuff and is really um, wants to connect with you, um, it can be really valuable as well. I mean, she got me on what I take right now and I'm, I'm open about it and I talk about it in the book. I'm on um, an SNRI and you hear a lot about SSRIs, uh, but I'm on an SNRI slightly different. And that's just because I have like a, like a, a neck thing that has like nerve pain down my arm and the SNRI helps oh, okay. kill that nerve pain. Okay. So it's slightly different. And that was actually the, the thing that, that pushed me over because I was having a lot of issues from an injury. Um, they actually give SNRIs to people with fibromyalgia to help them. So it really helped my pain. That's great. But it also really helped with my okay. mood. Okay. Yeah. I, I can see. I can see that. Yeah. How that could, um, I guess with that specific situation, how, you know, it ended up like really working for you, you know, especially with the, the nerve damage and all that. And to kind of interject on this, <clears throat> sorry, guys, if you keep hearing me coughing and like clearing my throat, I'm a little bit sick right now. So please bear with me. But to kind of, uh, I guess, relate this to my own experience where you talked about finding somebody that works for you. You know, I, I can admit that I've also been to therapy, too. You know, I'll say that uh, there have been some, how do I put this, some very painful experiences in my life. And it got to a point to where, you know, I kind of had to put my pride aside uh, because I didn't really know how to deal with some of those situations, especially, you know, as, as I got older, you know, even during my last year in college when some different things are going on. And so uh, to kind of harp on what you're talking about, something that really helped me was the therapist that actually got assigned. And so it was through, it was through the campus. And so I didn't have to like use my insurance or anything, but uh, the thing that was helpful with her was that she wasn't the type, I guess you could say to, um, to really talk a lot or offer opinions. And I, I don't know, maybe that's like industry standard or something like that. But if, but one thing I will say that she did was help me to be objective. She acknowledged what I had to say and what might've been my anecdotal evidence or, you know, what I thought my experiences were, but she also made sure to, I guess, kind of keep me in check. I guess you could say to make sure that I'm looking at the situation for what it was. And I would say, even though she didn't really offer a lot of insights or anything, or really any at all, you would think it would be, it wouldn't be helpful, but I'll say that just from her being a neutral person that I could talk to without fear of judgment or anything like that. And just to hear myself 
I guess, formulate my thoughts and finally put it out there because I'd never done that before. That alone helped me solve, I guess, the mental, you know, battle that I, that I was fighting because I eventually ended up solving the problem myself. I, it kind of got to the point to where I looked at the situation for what it was. I acknowledged what my role had been in it. I acknowledged, you know, how the situation had hurt me and had bothered me. And it got to a point to where I just had to, I guess, tell myself or I guess make the decision that this wasn't going to be something that I was going to let control my life. And if anything, I was going to be, I was going to come back stronger and actually uh, improve from it and be better. And also it was, a lot, I would say it's about 50 to 75% of what inspired me to do this podcast, seeing how personal development, all those things helped me to be able to get through that tough time in my life and then wanting to provide the same type of help to young men. So I can definitely relate to what you're saying about that, how, you know, even though we might have different personality types and you'll be looking for different things, once you find somebody that works for you, it really does make a world of difference whenever you get that professional second, second hand. I love that you said that, man. I, I love that you said that. Yeah. And, and she essentially worked for you as a type of a coach and there's no shame in having a coach. You know, we get a coach for teaching us how to do any sport better, but when it comes to living our own lives, for some reason we hesitate, right? Right. So, yeah. So yeah, I love that you said that. I think that's great. Yeah. And so I just wanted to, to kind of add that in there too, because I felt that like it was really important to, I guess, touch on that because people listening, they may be dealing with their own struggles or whatever, and they might see people on a podcast and think, oh, these people are so much different from me. They probably don't struggle with the same things I struggle with, have the same problems. But I feel like by us both kind of sharing our story somewhat, it gives them, I mean, of course we're human, but you know, it just more so asserts that, you know, to people that might not know us personally. And it helps them to where, let's say they want to do something like what we do or pursue some type of dream or goal that they have. They know that there are people who had similar struggles like them that were able to still work with that and rise up from the ashes, I guess you could say like, like a Phoenix and, yeah. and get to uh, where they are today. So I, I love that you said that. And on a similar note, because th this is important as well. I thought for some reason, my depression was special. There was no cure. When I was in my deepest parts, I thought I was special. And I'm sure everybody with depression, they're like, Oh, well, these people that, their depression is not like mine. Their depression is not like mine. And guess what? They're right. Everybody has their own story, but we have one unifying factor. We can all get out of it. And I firmly believe that. We just have to come at it with everything we've got. You just have to commit. Um, one of the things that, that I thought was fascinating, you know, throughout this whole journey and doing research for the book, I found out that um, we create 90% of our serotonin in our gut, which is wild. You would think that most of it's in your brain, right? 90% of our serotonin is created in our gut. So really? Actually, yeah. So a lot of doctors are actually prescribing probiotics to help treat depression. I believe wow. that's part of the issue. I don't think it's the whole issue. I don't think anything is the whole issue. I don't think there's any, any um, one thing that's going to cause depression. Just like, I don't believe there's one thing that's going to cure all depression. I think it's, it's a multifaceted thing. Um, but yeah, so there's people actually giving probiotics to help cure depression, which is why I have a whole chapter in, on nutrition in my book. I, I really think, um, and people are hesitant, but I really think people should get um, uh, allergy tested because, um, and I point to my back because uh, the way they do it is, and it's not scary, is they, they put a bunch of like pinpricks in your back so right. then they can see like what's going on back there. Yeah. So it's, it's not a big deal. But um, through that, they can tell what's creating like chronic inflammation and that chronic inflammation, that's, that's, that's going to wreak havoc on your gut. You're also going to have that inflammation in your brain, not helping, right? That's, that's another school of thought is that depression is actually a, um, an inflammation issue. <laughs> so yep. that's why, you know, before we even start dialing, dialing in the diet, I would really like people to, to get a, a, an allergy test if they can do it. That's actually really cool. I never, I've never even heard of that actually, that most, you said what 90% of serotonin like comes from your stomach. So I guess what you eat. And so, you know, most people probably don't pay much attention to how their diet or what they're, they're putting in their body can uh, affect their mood. Yeah. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. And so it's really something that I haven't thought about uh, that yeah. much really. 
to where like if you're eating junk or whatever it is, you know, it might not give you the best serotonin levels, you know, like, I don't know, eating with something healthy, a kale salad. I wouldn't eat that, but you know, something like that <laughs> would probably, <laughs> would probably give you better results. I would think. Absolutely. You're, you're totally right. So yeah. So the reason like when in my private clients, I, I have them do that first because, and then I always do the same thing. I'll have them do that. And then I'll go towards, you know, it's a modified version of the, um, Mediterranean or the low inflammation diet. There's an actual diet called the low inflammation diet. And then we'll just swap out the things that they can't have. Say they're, they're not really, um, let's say, uh, like me, lactose doesn't really agree with me. Like if I have a glass of milk, that's not, that's no good. Right. So I just cut that out, but I replace it with other things like, you know, whatever, but I, I try to make it all, uh, pretty low inflammation and it's all pretty healthy. And, um, you may not realize how it affects your mind. If you're, if you're always drinking soda, I am not kidding you, man. I had a woman, I'm not kidding you. And you're going to, you're going to think I'm lying. I'm going to tell you anyway. I had okay. a woman. I'm ready. Every single night when she went to bed, she brought up a two liter bottle of soda and drank it throughout the night. She would wake up in the middle of the night, get thirsty, drink it, wake up in the middle of the night, drink it. And by the morning it was gone. So, whoa, while on, that, she's, yeah, boy, there sound, it sounds like there's a lot wrong with that. Okay. First and foremost, how can you drink? Well, I wonder, at least, you know, in my experience, how can you drink something with sugar in it? at night and find a way to fall asleep. And two, I can't imagine like how much havoc that probably was wreaking on like her body just from drinking a two liter every single night, you know, all that sugar, all those calories and everything like weight gain, uh, sugar crashes, like throughout the day, whatever, what I can't even think of all. It's not like I'm a nutritionist or anything or like a, a health guy like you, but I can only imagine. Yeah. Well, you don't need to be, man. You know, you know that it's no good. So for some reason, she was cool with it. And it wasn't until I was like, you know what? Maybe let's not do that. Maybe if you bring up, she didn't like plain water because she was so used to drinking soda. She said it has no flavor. I said, she fine. didn't like water. She didn't that's, like water. That's the craziest thing in the world when people say that. That's, and it's surprising, right? But there's a lot of people out there because they're just so used to having sweet things. So I said, fine, grab a little bit of lemon, squeeze it in there. You'll be fine. So she swapped it out. And I think it was about three weeks later, she was only drinking the water. And that was the only thing, that was the only change we made in her diet, right? It was taking out this soda every night. Saw her three weeks later. She's like, I can't believe how much better I feel. I'm sleeping so much better. And I, and I said, really, you can't believe it? <laughs> <laughs> I said, look at what you're doing. Now imagine if we, if we swap out some of this other stuff, right? So yeah, so I mean, this is just good advice for anybody, right? Right. But especially if you have depression, you know, you're going to need to be able to get in some decent sleep and you're going to need a healthier gut and you're going to need to try maybe a little harder than, than some other people to really dial in your, your, um, your physical needs and, and balances. Yeah, yeah I, think, so. I think it's great that you brought that up. And, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I know I keep like distracting you, like taking you off, like from your story, but they're just like different things that you're touching on that, you know, I really like, and I just wanted to elaborate on, but I know you're talking about diet and you also talked about finding like the right, the right coach for you. But where are some of the other things in your story that you like to talk about? Oh, there's a good amount. Um, this one's going to sound silly. So I'll tell it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is because I, I have, I have, you know, obviously I've talked about quite a bit, but this one is the shortest chapter in the book. It's the one that people kind of laugh at, but it's true. Um, I remember um, thinking I had just graduated college and my idea of success was business suit corporate world because that's the message we're basically told. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, same thing so, with my situation. Yeah, so I was like, okay, so uh, I guess I'll go for that. I'm out of college, I'll go do that. And I remember putting on a, a business suit and I was driving to this interview and I just busted out crying sobbing in my car i felt so out of place like i was forcing a was it square peg in a round hole type thing right um it was so not me i belong in a non-corporate structure and i belong in a gym or i belong in the arts or i belong in a medical field i don't belong in corporate america and guess what that's okay and i think a lot of people with depression are trying to force their 
force themselves. I think, I, I mean, I think a lot of young people, regardless of whether they have depression or not, are trying to force themselves into this certain idea of success when there's actually a whole myriad of different paths you can take and be successful. So, oh, okay. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I would have been way more suited just opening a gym or something like that. And I would have been fulfilled. I would have been happy. Um, and that would have been successful. That would have been great. Um, but forcing myself to this corporate world, you know, it, it's, um, it's not, it's not going to do you any favors. I mean, and some people that works for them, if they want the corporate world, that's great, but then don't force yourself to open a gym. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, so don't you, you, and it, it sounds silly, um, but you can't force it. And you've, and this may actually fall into, you know, I have a chapter on meditation and I think just kind of when, when, we, when we get into meditation and we kind of check in on who, on who we really are, it's okay to follow that. It's okay to not be a business suit guy. It's okay to not be a corporate guy or vice versa. It's okay to do that if you want to do that. Right. Right. Gotta, right. And it sounds cliche, but you got to be true to yourself. It, it really is important. You know, before we hop into the meditation thing, I just wanted to go back and touch on that. Yeah. And so this may not be something that a lot of people put thought into, but you know, there, there are points in time where people might, you know, get into like a mood of where they're unsatisfied with life, but they may not know why. And I think it's important that you brought that up because some of these aspects of life that may be leading to them, not feeling their best, or, you know, just really not having the energy or being up for doing what they do is that they may not even realize that the aspects of it might just be the way that they're, choosing to live their life. You know, people may see working at corporate job or, you know, buying the house, having the family is like what you have to do or, you know, whatever other examples you can think of. And they're kind of trying to fit themselves into a mold that they don't belong to. But since their expectation is that's what has to be done, that's what life is. They may not even realize that it's those expectations that are leading to them not being in their best mental state. And you talked about living a life authentic to yourself. I mean, to yourself, I think that's so key because I'll say once I started doing that, well, I mean, I haven't been able to do it 100% of the way because, you know, of course I'm, I'm only 23 and, you know, I haven't done everything I want to do in life yet. I have to plan for, for that to be able to eventually live 100% authentic life. But I'll say whenever I start to consciously work towards it and do it in every single way that I could control right now, my life became a whole lot more fulfilling. My mood changed and I became, you know, a much happier person. And for the first time in my life, I stopped having problems falling asleep. You know, it went from me taking like, I'll say 30 minutes uh, to fall asleep finally. to now I lay in bed and I'm ready to knock out, you know, I fall asleep in like five, 10. And so I think that's really key to you brought that up. And a lot of people don't pay attention to that because they kind of see it as if that's not an option in a way. And they don't even realize that by them having that defeating attitude of, I can't really do what it is I want to do. That's not reasonable. That's not feasible. That in itself is what's leading to them having maybe that depression or, uh, you know, that negative energy, that low energy, whenever they go throughout their day and some of those other problems that they might be facing. Absolutely. It's a factor. It's, it's definitely a factor. But yeah, but not to take away from your, from your story, but. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, just checking in and then, and, and following uh, what works for you and accepting that, that, you know, it's okay. It's, it's okay that we're not all the same, right? That's, that's a good thing. Um, and I know we mentioned uh, meditation real quick, um, but that's the one, that's the chapter that I got the most pushback on as far as people saying, oh, well, I just can't meditate. Really? Oh, I tried. Yeah, a lot of people. Told so they me. said they couldn't meditate. That was the pushback. And like, and what else? Or was that the, the main thing? That was the main thing. They said that their, their, their minds would just go wild. They would think too much. And I said, well, yeah, dude, all of our minds go wild. And that's that's kind of like what happens when you, when you meditate. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. We're human. We're yeah. human. So that's going to happen. <laughs> so like, so what I try to tell people is, and I, and I give a few different examples of meditation in the book, but what I try to tell people is it's not the absence of thought. And you're not going to go from never med meditating before to being like totally zenned out in three sessions. It's, gonna, it's a practice. And the way you practice is 
when you get into your when you get into your zone or however you choose to meditate there's a bunch of different types but when your mind starts to drift pull it back pull it back to your breath let's just say we're focusing on our breath okay i start to think again pull it back i start to think again pull it back and it's that act of pulling it back that's the meditation it's that act of pulling it back you are making progress there and what's going to happen is it's not going to be in the first few weeks but maybe after a little while, you're going to notice you have to pull it back a little, uh, a little less, right? And a little less. So it's just something that you that you work on and and accept that. Yeah, at first that's just part of it. You got to spend the time pulling it back. And as long as you're pulling it back, it's like working a muscle, right? I'm not going to go, you know, st- do curls with 100 pounds if I never lifted weights before, right? That'd be crazy. Right. Same thing. Got to practice slow and low. You start start easy, you know. So yeah, that, that, that's another uh, that's another one. People just like insist, oh, I can't meditate. That's not for me. Well, <laughs> ease into it, guys. Ease into it. And like it's like um, it's like the woman with the diet with the soda, right? So that was the first thing. Just cut out that soda at night, and just these small steps, building ourselves up, right? There there is no overnight success when it comes to things like this. It's it's that gradual uh, sharpening the sword, let's say. Okay, and I think it's good that we touched on this because. For those people that may not be familiar with meditation, probably like those people that have reached out to you and give you the pushback about that chapter, uh, people may think that to meditate successfully, you have to have no thoughts go through your head. And so I think it's great that you brought that up, that that's what's supposed to happen. That's essentially the function of meditation. It's not just being completely just, you know, thoughtless. It's taking that deliberate action to whenever the thoughts come into your head push them out to eventually develop that mindfulness and, and discipline and that focus. And yeah. so I'm, I'm glad yeah. that you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and spend the time on it. it it's, it's, it's something that you got to do pretty much every day. Um, and if you fall off, that's okay too. Just come right back to it. You know, it, it, it's your breath is there for you. You can do it anywhere. Yeah. And so uh, I guess another question I would ask is when did you uh, finally start to see like a, a strong defined turnaround to where you knew you had overcome the uh, depression and like the, the poor mental health that you were dealing with at that time. What do you it, think was the, the turning point to where you finally, you know, kind of thought to yourself, I'm able to move on from this and, and lead a healthy life. Well, it wasn't like there was one um, thing that there wasn't one moment where I was like, I'm done. I'm complete because we're never complete as humans. Right. Right. Uh, as far as like, feeling like I really had it handled and I've, I've done everything I can. And now I can start teaching was when I, when I, um, when I was, when I started taking the medication, because I was good and I could have kept going without the medication. I won't lie to you. I could have kept going, but around eight o'clock at night, every night I would start to get depressed. So I was just like, you know what? I I don't deserve this. I don't want to get depressed every single night at eight o'clock, you know, until I went to bed. So that was, so the medication was what did that. And then I, I hadn't, you know, knock on wood experienced any symptoms since. Um, but the, the point where I feel like I really crested over and kind of like, uh, in screenwriting, we call it broken the back, right. Right. Like we've gotten past that halfway point and we feel like we can start to get a handle on things. Um, was I was in grad school and it was, I was already had my diet and my body dialed in pretty well. And it was that cross between, um, and I'd started meditation. I'd started yoga. Um, but it was that it was the cross between the challenge of getting a master's degree, which was challenging. It takes a lot of work, right? Right. Really applying myself. And then also the things I had to do to become the person who could do that kind of work. Meaning I had to start reading self-help books and people, um, you know, get a little cringy when it comes to that or they tend to make fun of that or they dismiss it uh i completely disagree i think it's i think it's great if you see somebody in the self-help section in in a bookstore or in a library they're trying to work on themselves and make themselves better i don't know what's a better reason to be at a bookstore or a library so when i agree honestly you know, i don't really see a point reading anything else i think it's great i i, I think it's amazing and, and i don't um I think the stigma comes from like, oh, that, that person's in the self-help section, they must be broken, right? It's just like the stigma of going to therapy. Oh, that person must be broken. No, 
they're, they're seeking out these things that are really going to help them. So I love it. So yeah, so it was this, this really discovering a lot of this self-help stuff, self-improvement stuff and, and, and going for this challenge of grad school. And that's where I was like, okay, okay. I'm, I've got like a good amount of this under control and I'm really seeing how my, um, um, like intake, like my media intake affects me. Because yeah, how it affected your output. Yeah, yeah, because I was, um, I I was so busy. I had to cut out the news, and I had to cut out. Man, I'm really beating up the news today. I had to cut out like you know any of the junk, like uh, you know, even like fluffy, like fun things. I had to cut out a lot of it because I was like, you know what, I want to do something that's going to help me. So I was I was doing a lot of you know a lot of like inspirational things, a lot of inspirational videos, reading a lot of inspirational books, and it just. I, I just learned so much in such a short amount of time. I, I, I'm a big proponent of those as well. Hmm. Interesting how uh, the self-improvement, the personal development is the thing that you talked about that really helped you to get through it, you know? And so if that doesn't prove that this content, you know, the stuff that we talk about on this podcast is valuable, I don't know what, what will. And to kind of clarify what I was saying earlier, what I meant by, I think that's really the only thing you should read. I think that you should if you're going to be reading books and things like that, of course, I guess it's cool to read, you know, entertainment type books here and there, you know, like fiction, if that's what you like to do. But for the most part, uh, the most value that I've gotten from reading has been from personal development books, you know, kind of like in that self-help area, like what you're talking about. And to kind of, I guess, refine what that means. We're talking about books like Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends and Influence People, not just stuff about depression or whatever. We're talking about things that craft you into a better man, if that makes sense. And then also other content where it's actually educating you and teaching you something that can help you be a more functional person in society. And so, you know, reading things that might be about history or whatever else that will help give you a better understanding or economics or, you know, race relations, if that's something that you want to learn about. So you can really, I guess, kind of see between the lines of what's going on in society, why things might happen like they do things like that. And so that's kind of what I meant by that, how that's really the only type of stuff you should read things that help you to build, I guess, your, your knowledge base, whether it's with yourself, you know, within yourself or, you know, outside. I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So what I do is I'm always reading two books, one's for uh, like personal development and then one's for fun. And I, and I, I, I leave a room for the fun books because um, like I, you know, like you told me, said before, I'm a brain trainer. And there is a place for that, for that, um, for fiction, just for like building those worlds in your head. It's actually really good for brain health as well. So, you know, even though it's not my first choice, I would read self-development books all the time. I still try to read some fiction stuff just for brain health. You know, that's like the last thing I do before I go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad that uh, you touched on that because you are, you are the guy, I guess that's in, it's in the realm. So <laughs> thanks for helping me with that to kind of, uh, I guess, present the way to go about it for the listeners and so yeah thank you for that oh yeah yeah thank you for i mean i'm, I'm glad that, that uh that we're having this discussion man i think this is like really valuable stuff <laughs> yeah definitely i think that we offered a whole lot of value in this discussion today and you know we're starting to kind of come to a close i guess you could say with our time and so there are just a, a few more things i wanted to ask you and so knowing like what the mission of the podcast is like to help young men uh, to develop their character identity and mindset in order to activate their potential, achieve their goals in life. This definitely does kind of plug into that. And so as far as something specific to young men, things that they might struggle with when it comes to uh, being healthy and going through the process of protecting their mental health, what are some tips that you would give them if they don't do it already to go ahead and start and get into that, that mindset? Um. I think, I think we're over that stigma hump. I think every guy out there should be trying yoga. I'm a firm believer in yoga. Uh, it's, you're gonna get everything from it. You got the physical aspect, the mental aspect of it. You got the, uh, the meditation and you got the social aspect too. You're gonna meet new people in it, right? right. Uh, I, know, I know whatever, pick a sport you play, whatever it is. I don't know, I don't know what all you guys play, but um, I know a golfer, a skier, and a baseball player who all have said to me, 
that they've improved in their respective sports um, by like, you know, 50% or something wild because they got into yoga. It's, it's so good for injury prevention. So good. Just all around. I'm a huge fan. Love people, love people to get into it. Um, I got one that's going to come out of left field for you, but as far as um, just mental health and even preserving your relationships with people, I think it's really important for young guys to practice um, forgiveness. So, you know, of course we want to practice forgiveness with ourselves, right? We're going to, we're all going to say stupid things. That's part of being human. We're all right. going to make a lot of mistakes and that's okay. And that's how we grow. We also need to practice forgiveness with other people because I can't tell you how many times people said stupid things to me when I was depressed, like man up or, Oh, it could be worse. You know, things like that, that, um, really landed the wrong way. Um, but they, they didn't understand what I was going through because they couldn't, they weren't in my shoes. So if people say stupid things to you, there's a good chance they just can't understand what's going on in your skin. So hmm. you got to practice that forgiveness as well, because you're going to carry that, that grudge around and it's only going to end up hurting you. So practice that forgiveness and try to practice more understanding. And I wish I had done that more when I was 20. You know, the way I kind of, uh, I guess, I'm comprehending what you're saying is that these people that were around you didn't have the ability to empathize and put themselves in your shoes. And you're saying that we should see that they had that lapse and not make the same mistake by not forgiving them. What you're saying is that we should also empathize with them and put ourselves in their shoes to see how them not knowing better can make them interact in that way and not take that personally. Am I understanding you correctly? Absolutely. Absolutely. Ah, okay. Okay. I think that's great. That's, yeah, I think that's really great that you brought that up because, you know, people talk about it all the time, or at least, you know, people that I've been around and had these discussions with that something that a lot of people in general are lacking is empathy. And I think that when you start to apply that to your day-to-day interactions, it kind of makes it hard to be as cynical about the world you live in or the people around you when you put yourself in a position to try and see why they may think that way or why they may have interacted with you in that way. And I would say it kind of makes it a lot easier, a lot more, I guess, a lot more peaceful, you know, for your mind when you kind of approach things from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 